0: Welcome and today we are doing our second podcast in our series on Mindful on Purpose. Uh, We are a monthly podcast uh, every first Friday of the month. We air at 10 a.m. and um, we talk with uh, different experts and survivors in the area around domestic violence interventions and innovation that's happening in this space. Um, my name is Christina Blackburn and I am the founder and director of Speranza Human Compassion Project in Philadelphia. Um, we do training with first responders and students who work, who work or will work directly with victims of violent crimes and in particular domestic violence victims um, and children who are in the middle of domestic violence. So we do training um, with the students. Uh, and and the professionals around how to, you know, best practices, how to um, interact um, with the victim, um, and you know how and kind of understanding a little bit about their background and what happened to them before they got to that point, so that the person can better care for the for the whole person um, um, when they're when they're interacting whether it's a police officer, whether it's an EMT, whether it's a doctor or nurse whether it's a lawyer or a judge um, so yes yeah, so we provide those supports and that training we've been doing it for about eight years now and we also have launched a new um, technology through vanguard medicine where we kind of take some of that content and we put it on a platform so that it's scalable and can be used at any hospital or university or institution Um, you know, hopefully globally, uh, because we know that there's a huge need for this information within healthcare systems, but also, uh, you know, within other um, organizations and and for students who are essentially going into this this field. Uh, So yeah, so that's a little bit about me. Um, Today we have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Nicolina. Uh, She's actually done several projects with uh, the nonprofit over the past year, and so I'm so grateful that she um, said that she would become a part of this podcast and come on today. Uh, so she's going to introduce herself and to talk a little bit about her work before we get into some of our questions and um, talk a little bit today about um, child endangerment, children in the middle, and also understanding the impact that COVID has had on you know women and children experiencing domestic violence in their homes. And I do want to give a brief warning that some of the content that we are talking about is very sensitive. Um, So I just wanna make our audience aware of that before we get started. So Dr. Nicolina, uh, thank you again for um, coming on today. And if you would mind giving us a little bit of an introduction to yourself and to some of the work that you currently are doing.
1: Sure, thank you so much, Christina, for having me. It's a real pleasure. Um, The work that you do is so, so important. So I'm really, really um, glad to be a part of it and to be here today. So I am a licensed clinical psychologist. My clinical specialization is in working with children and adolescents and with survivors of trauma. And as a psychologist in New York state, I do that through talk therapy. Um, I don't prescribe medication. My job right now is an assistant professor in the psychology department at Queens College and the Graduate Center, which are part of the City University of New York. So on a day-to-day basis, I wear lots of different hats. I teach undergraduates and graduates, um, graduate level courses rather. I supervise clinical work of doctoral students who are training to become psychologists and um, I do research. So um, my research is um, on survivors of trauma. So I study what, what happens to people who experience negative or adverse events in childhood. And these kinds of events are very varied. They range from losing a loved one or experiencing childhood abuse and neglect and or witnessing domestic violence in the house and so on. Um, And I, along with a team of my trainees or students in my laboratory at Queens College, we want to understand better how the lives of those impacted by early trauma um, are changed as a result of of what happened to them. And um, we study both the negative outcomes, but also uh, resilience and try to understand what makes people thrive after adversity. Um, and, um, I also study specifically survivors of sexual assault and, um, whether they choose to talk about their assault or not. And what are some of the reasons for that? And I also really enjoyed doing clinical work myself, but I haven't been able to do that recently because as a mom of two boys, it's just been uh, difficult to, to, to do everything at this time, but I'm looking forward to doing some clinical work myself soon again.
0: Thank you so much uh, for the introduction and for the work that you're doing. It's it's very important in this area um, for us to understand like what helps people to thrive after these type of events and across their life, you know, across their lifespan, how it affects them. So we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Um, and uh, so I guess we can start with just an overview of what Aces are. Um, If you would mind giving us a brief introduction to those. Absolutely. So um, ACEs are
1: Adverse Childhood Experiences. And the term ACEs was coined by Felitti and colleagues. Um, He uh, and his team did a research study in the 90s out in California, where they surveyed a large health system of um, thousands of individuals called the Kaiser Permanente Health System and um, asked these uh, participants in the health network whether they had a history of 10 different events in childhood. And uh, these were physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional and physical neglect, living with an incarcerated caregiver, living with a mentally ill caregiver, uh, living with a substance abusive caregiver, um, experiencing divorce, um, and being also a witness to domestic violence in the home. And so um, when they uh, examined Whether individuals in their health in their this watch health network had a history of these events, they found that they were fairly common, and also more importantly, they found that they were related to how people were doing as adults. So people who had a history of these negative events in childhood were having um, worse health outcomes in terms of their cardiac health, their mental health, their overall health and well-being. So that kind of um, their pro- study was very influential and, and, and kind of took off and was the first one to really coin the phrase ACEs and to look at these um, a range of health outcomes in this way. And since then, there's been a large body of research on ACEs, and that has been expanded to include other events that weren't initially surveyed by Philidian colleagues, but we know are important for child development, such as losing um, a parent early on in life or being exposed to community violence and a range of other negative events that we understand to influence um, children. And um, also, Felidis' work was really important because in addition to just looking at how these events impact children individually, they found that there was a cumulative effect and that the more of these events that someone had experienced, the worse, the higher risk, rather, for negative outcomes they they have.
0: Very good. Thank you for um, sharing that um so let's talk a little bit uh our next question about um how the aces impact children and i know you talked a little bit about that but specifically when we're talking about this pandemic that we are kind of hopefully emerging from now and a lot of children were sheltering in in homes or women were sheltering in homes with their abusers and you know when you're in that, that type of a situation, it's already hard to maybe focus on schoolwork because you're concerned about like your mom and, and what might happen to her, you know while you're at school. But to be in a viol- volatile home all the time and not have anywhere to go to talk with your school counselor or other friends at school. I'm just curious as to if you have any research research or if you just in your thinking, how these children are were impacted during that time, and then what that's going to look like three, five years out for these individuals who are living in these homes, because you know we know that this happens in many homes, you know, and it's grossly underreported. Um, so I just wanted to get a little bit of what you see as as a clinical psychologist in this area.
1: I mean, this is a really, really important question. Um, as we know already, experiencing ACEs has profound consequences on development, and um, it, I just kind of want to s- take a step back and talk about why that is. So, um, children are children's brains and bodies are really plastic in childhood. Um, mean that what I mean by that is that when children are born, there are things that we know that they're born with genetically, certain predispositions, but also their brains are very adaptable to the environment in which they are um, being raised. And so um, what some of this research into looking at, at the ways adversity impact development shows is that those children who live in households that are inundated with um, negative events and ACEs and trauma, they adopt to those households. So they learn how to survive in those households. And um, so they develop anxiety because it's helpful to be anxious and hypervigilant in the situations when you, you are unsafe and you need to always look out for yourself. They withdraw because they might learn that it's unsafe to interact with their caregivers. They um, learn to focus on survival um, in the home rather than you know, devote their energies and um, their cognitive capacities for Uh, towards school and learning. So there's different ways in which our brains change as a result of trauma in childhood. And so children growing up in homes that are marked by adversity are kind of that's why you see a lot of elevated rates of um, depression, anxiety, um, also externalizing behaviors in children who are Uh, victims of violence at home, um, because they also learn to resolve conflict aggressively and learn that fighting is a way to kind of um, to get what they want, or the way that they are able to stay safe. So then they take these um, behaviors outside of the home, and they do it in school and with their peers. But um, in some ways, in that environment in which they're growing up, those behaviors are adaptive. But then when you step outside of that environment, or you're no longer in a dangerous environment you're in a safe environment they become maladaptive so that's when they become you know the children have higher rates of anxiety or post-traumatic stress disorder or they're aggressing towards others um verbally or physically so um there is a kind of an adaptational purpose to to the development of of these uh, behaviors but um So, and what we see then with children is that who are growing up in these households is that they have higher rates of anxiety, depression, um, post-traumatic stress, um, acting out um, later on substance abuse. And when, and they also may have difficulty in school and learning and connecting towards people, to, to other people effectively, especially if they're violence being is being perpetrated by those who are supposed to take care of them because that's a very confusing message and it disrupts the trust that they're able to build. So when they leave the homes, they have a hard time forming relationships with other people. Now that's the negative kind of outcome of, of ACEs, but I do want to highlight that um, not everyone who has these experiences end up with a negative outcome or trajectory. There's plenty of of children who live through adversity and um, are very successful in childhood and in adulthood and do well. So I just don't want to pathologize that or lead someone to think that because something bad happened to them, that they're destined to this negative trajectory. That is not at all the case. And I could talk a little bit later um, about some protective factors that we know are helpful to kind of change some of these trajectories. But more to your question regarding COVID. So, you know, you as you've said, if you take someone who's living in this very unsafe environment and home, and then you take away any of um, those other areas of their life where they could get some reprieve, which is where that's going to school or being with their friends or seeing a counselor or um, doing a sport or anything else that might've been out there in their lives that brought them a sense of safety and a break from this chaotic environment. you're essentially putting them for a year in the situation where they're under constant threat. And so um It's likely what we've already seen and that is that schooling was really problematic for a lot of children during COVID. But it's been particularly problematic for children who before um, COVID had difficulties. And, you know, there were a lot of students who disengaged during COVID and the ones who are focused on surviving in their homes, and who are experiencing this continuous trauma every day are much more likely to disengage and just um, not have the energy or the cognitive capacity for school. So academically, they're gonna be behind. They also will have a this of this, a lot of stress. So it's likely that their mental health has worsened. And now that they're gonna be going back to school and being exposed to those teachers, doctors, um therapists or counselors coaches that they will start to pick up on some of these increased rates of mental health difficulties so such as anxiety depression post-traumatic stress also maybe externalizing our positional behaviors are likely to rise so um and then in the long term i think it will have if there is no proper intervention to help mitigate some of these negative outcomes, it's possible that some of the children will have um, longer term difficulties that will persist, unfortunately. So, um, but now is a good opportunity for anyone who is working with children and is coming into contact with children who were sheltering in place in difficult situations to kind of start to monitor how they're doing and think about ways to mitigate some of the negative effects that we might be seeing. So the work that you're doing with providers is really important to kind of be alert and aware and kind of on the lookout and connect families to resources.
0: Would you say, I mean, and this is not one of our questions, but are, are the places like schools aware that this might be a problem when kids come back? Like they might be inundated with additional resources that they need to provide. And also the resources that are available to families in crisis are they aware that they might get more um, people needing support? I think it's been pretty much in the news how we're talking about, like, after this pandemic, you know, how people's, be- you know, mental health has been impacted. But we, I don't know that we've really think- thought about, like, the children mm-hmm. and then these children who are experiencing extra levels of stress in their home, what additional they're going to need um, to meet their needs.
1: Um, I mean, I think that that's a, something that uh, everyone should be, who works with children should be thinking about. I know that some schools are really, are aware of it and are are considering uh, what it's going to be like for children who haven't, uh, who've been doing remote schooling this entire time or maybe some version of hybrid schooling, how their needs might change as they come forward, not only, you know, the safety um, regarding just continuing to stay, stay safe uh, when COVID is still, you know, among us, but um, also, like, meeting their needs otherwise. But I'm sure that, and uh, in the mental health field, uh, there's uh, lots and lots of awareness that's going on. And there are lots of webinars that I, I've seen being invited, uh, that I've been invited to participate in as a health, prof- as a mental health professional for individuals, like, managing stress post-COVID, in the mental health field, I've heard it being referred as the second pandemic. So there is awareness, um, and I'm hoping that there are resources that are also being put towards mitigating some of these negative outcomes.
0: Okay, that's great. That's awesome. Thank you for that. Um, so, uh, so if someone is an adult who you know was abused or witnessed abuse as a child. Um, how does how does this impact them um, as an adult you know and in their interpersonal relationships at work communicating with others some of their internal chatter and maybe negativity that they have toward themselves. because my thought is um, that there might be people who experience things in their childhood possibly they don't remember or you know but as an adult they're or or maybe they do remember but as an adult, like they're having these uh, challenges, right? With their relationships with other, towards other people and with other people, and maybe they don't understand why, you know, but it could stem from things that happened in their childhood. And it's like, how can we help them to realize that, um, that some of their behaviors now may stem from what happened in their childhood? And then what, what does that look like as far as, uh, definitely, of course, getting, therapy, you know, is one way that we know, Um, reaching out to someone like your, well not yourself because you work with children, but like a therapist, a clinical psychologist, um, or just a behavioral therapist that can help them work through some of the things that happen as a childhood so that they can create a better path forward for resiliency for themselves. Um, But say they don't have maybe insurance or the access to those type of tools. Are there things that they can do um, and start thinking about maybe reading books, or I, I, am curious. Do you have any um, guidance in that area?
1: Um, yes, yeah, so, uh, there. The consequences of um, adverse childhood experiences are really wide ranging for adults, and um, as you alluded, some of these are kind of within awareness. So people might understand I, you know, I've developed, I have a difficulty trusting people because um, as a child, I, I couldn't trust my caregivers. Um, And others are outside of our awareness to some of the consequences that we see, you know, of course, our mental um, health difficulties such as again, depression, anxiety disorders, um, post-traumatic stress disorder, but others are also, you know, someone's health risk behaviors or, you know, substance use, or um, the way that they take care of themselves might be impacted. Um, Their long-term health might be impacted. So um, they might have elevated rates of inflammation in their body that impacts cardiac health, immunofunctioning, functioning and a range of other medical conditions. You know, we also see, unfortunately, earlier death and higher rates of suicide among individuals who have a history of um, trauma. So therefore, um, there's such a wide range, um, range of consequences that people who've experienced difficulty in childhood are, are, are maybe experiencing now as adults. And also um, there are d- adults who've been through trauma and are doing fine. So there's definitely a, a range of outcomes that we see. And um, I, you know, speaking to <clears throat> seeking help, there are some really good interventions that psychology um, has, or um, that help adults as as well as children, but adults overcome some of these negative consequences of of trauma. And um, so because they are so wide ranging, there's a different range of interventions that would be appropriate. Um, Kind of, uh, first of all, if you're someone who is in imminent danger, Ever or feel that, that you're, or someone you know is at risk of something happening immediately, the thing to do is call 911 or go to the nearest emergency room. So um, otherwise, it's important to try and think about how are whatever difficulties, that emotional difficulties or behavioral difficulties that you're experiencing impacting your, impacting your life. So, and if you see that um, all of us have, you know, days when we are down once once in a while, or feeling particularly nervous for something. But if you see that you're be you're how you're doing yourself, or how you are with others, or in your job is being impacted pervasively by your negative feelings or uh, by certain behaviors, if you're using lots of substances, for example, um, then it might be a good time to think about getting some help from a professional to. Um, to identify areas where um, you could benefit from therapy. And uh, like I said, there's a range of really good treatments that we have for trauma survivors that could really offer hope and make someone's life better. So um, I do encourage you to reach out. And um, perhaps we could leave some links in, in to um, like, like, in, in the port podcast to some serve, some places where you can find more information um, about ways to to find help. So, for example, the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, has a lot of information about ACEs. So if someone is curious about that, they can go on there. The Na- National Register of Psychologists has a referral service. Um, ABCT, which is the Association of Behavior and Cognitive Therapy, has also a referral service for therapists. So, you know, there are, there are ways that you can find somebody in your area or who can you can work with remotely who would do an assessment and figure out how they could, if you need help and how they somebody else can help you. Um, now, in terms of your other question regarding... Of what else um, people can do if they're um, trying to understand what happened to them. There are there, uh, some really good books that are available, and um, perhaps we can also link to those in the podcast um, afterwards. We, I could provide some citations for literature. Um, and there are also ways, you know, like as I mentioned, because the consequences of trauma can be so varied. I think something that many of us can can do to kind of um, to do better even if you're not a trauma survivor is to just understand that there's a really big body and mind connection and to try and just even take care of some of these basics in the, in their lives such as getting good sleep eating a regular nutritious meals making sure that you're Getting some exercise or staying active in some way and doing something that's pleasurable and engaging to you. So, and that could look very different for different people. Um, You know, some people like to read, others like to walk outside, or it could be a variety of different things that you enjoy. But really, um, um, regulating some of your body and how you're, you know, functioning on a day to day could really be helpful to our health all around and to our mental health. And, um, and I, you know, I know that that's not easy. It sounds really easy, just do these things. But that is not easy, particularly to individuals who've been through trauma. A lot of times their sleep is disrupted, their uh, eating habits are disrupted, you know, their ability to be outside or in the house or um, is disrupted. So I don't want to make it sound like that's easy. That's, that could be someone's struggle, actually, that could be the some of the ways in which the trauma really has impacted how they are. But I think that those things, in any case, whatever you can do, even small steps,
0: um, could be kind of universally applicable. I think that's very helpful. And also, just kind of like being aware, you know, just being aware of, about what's going on in your own body, like if you are feeling an extra level of fear around just going outside or like people or like normal things. Right. Or if you're feeling more anxious, like when you're driving, you know, um, you know, those are indicators that hmm, maybe something's going on within me that I need to maybe um, I'm sorry, be aware of. Um, so. Uh, this this is really helpful. Okay, so what do you think can be done to minimize children's exposure to, to violence in the home? I know this is very difficult and oftentimes it relies heavily, you know, we know domestic violence primarily is, um, w- women are primarily experiencing violence in the home and Children witnessing that, you know, primarily the mother is the primary caregiver for that, for the children. So, um, it's primarily falls on her, the one who's being abused to protect the children in the home, which can be very difficult. Um, so I, you know, and, and, you know, doing this podcast um, this is something that i lived through in my family um and when i was experiencing violence in the home and so it was very difficult for me i mean i I made it a priority for me to protect my children so that they weren't being injured but emotionally it's very it's something that sometimes we don't think about what children are hearing what they are experiencing and how they're feeling about what's happening in their home are there ways to to um, minimize their exposure, or what what have you seen? I have a question around that.
1: Yeah, I, I think these are such important questions. I just wanted to kind of go back for a second to what you you were saying regarding you know being aware. I think in the time of COVID right now, specifically, um, f- for everyone who's coming out of lockdown, I think there's like a extra need uh, for awareness and understanding that it might not be comfortable to be outside, to be kind of engaging with people. And that's okay, because we've been told that it's dangerous to do do that for a year. And now um, for some people, it's easy to just go back to normal. And for others, especially um, those who have a history of trauma before um, and have difficulty kind of trusting and being out there, it might be hard and everybody... Might have their own pace or their own kind of um, way in which they gain, uh, in which they gain comfort. So I just wanted to kind of I think that that's really important, especially now, to think about kind of being out in the world and uh, which is new again to, for a lot of us. Um, and uh, so, in terms of preventing violence. There's different ways that we think about prevention. So um, from an epidemiological point of view, there's primary prevention, secondary prevention, and tertiary prevention. So that's kind of like a scientific way to think about it. And the primary prevention is really the prevention that you do to um, make sure to the extent possible that violence in the home doesn't happen. And um, that is... um, researchers think about that from um, interventions to reduce some of their major risk factors that we know of. So poverty, for example, or being stressed can be a risk factor for, um, for experiencing domestic violence in the home or for um, as act as a big stressor and fewer resources uh, resources, on caregivers and which can then lead them to um, maltreat their children or to, um, um, be perpetrate, to perpetrate violence against their partner. So preventing, kind of mitigating some of those stressors um, such as reducing rates of poverty or to um, you know, make sure that families have resources access to resources as they need them. So that's kind of one universal way that we can help prevent some uh, violence in the home. Additionally, it's through what we know about uh, individuals who perpetrate violence, um, especially towards their children or um, towards their partner. They are not necessarily aware of the consequences of this on their children. And they are not um, a lot of parents who perpetrate violence against their kids. They have unrealistic expectations about their children. They have, um, they just have more limited parenting knowledge and more limited knowledge about how to mitigate some of their own emotions and how to confront their own emotional difficulties. So one kind of universal prevention um, that could be just be could be more education, more education for caregivers, you know, to drive a car, you need a license to to give birth to a child, you um, you are offered a lot of often free resources on your pregnancy and on, you know, the birthing process. But what you do with a child once they, he or she or they come home is um, we don't get that much help with that. And so I think It would be helpful to just give parents more education or more access to education and resources so they could understand better how to help their children develop most optimally and how to when they need help so that they they can mitigate some of their own negative emotions, negative behaviors um, and how to access that help so that they can be better, better caregivers for their kids. So that's something that I think is is important. And then, you know, um, secondary prevention is to identify individuals who might be at risk and to intervene there. And that's, I think, a lot of the work that you're doing with working with providers who are out there in the world world, treating children and um, helping, um, you know, families and making them aware just of the kind of the consequences of trauma on development and helping them find good ways to screen and ask important questions so that children who are survivors and victims can be identified and can be connected with resources. So, and then, tertiary prevention, that's already identifying kids who have developed negative consequences. So who might be having a depressive disorder or post-traumatic stress or anxiety or might be acting out and identifying those children and connecting them with resources so their problems are mitigated and they don't get worse. Or identifying families that are struggling and giving them resources to help, um, you know, if, um, to help reduce um, the violence in the home so um, so that's kind of a scientific perspective on how I would think about preventing violence now your other question was really important so if you're a survivor and you're or a victim you're living in the household with um, a partner who is violent towards you um, and as you mentioned uh, research shows that most uh, victims of more severe types of domestic violence are, are women. Um, although men also experience it from their partners. And um, um, when it comes to, we know that when it comes to more psychological aggression at the lesser levels, it can actually be bidirectional and um, kind of impact men and women differently. And I'm just talking here about the research on heterosexual couples, of course. There's... Um, uh, Same-sex couples, where they're you know they also experience domestic violence, um, but the the more extreme types of violence tend to um, v- women tend to be the victims of the more extreme times types of violence and the injurious types of, of violence in the home, um, and that that could be really difficult. It's a really difficult position to be in because. Um, again, what the research shows us is that even if children are not directly witnessing it, they're very much aware of what's going on. Um, and so it's, um, they're still being impacted by it. So they're, you know, they know that, um, is happening, that their mother's being, um, victimized and they're worried about it. So, um, Whatever to the extent that's possible, keeping them safe um, from being victims of violence themselves, um, and also helping to mitigate some of the violence um, in the home. And I know that's that's really complicated, and you know it's not as easy. It's just for the mother. is just leaving. I mean, it's it's a really really complicated situation, and a lot of times um, it is. And there's so many things that are involved and. Um, It can happen that even when a woman wants to leave, she's not able to for a variety of reasons. Um, So to kind of, um, to make sure that children get a reprieve, that they are getting good education, good physical um, and mental health care if they can, and to just kind of minimize their exposure to violence and kind of take care of the, 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 The victim, the mother herself, as much as possible, to 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 kind of minimize the violence in the home as much as possible and keep the environment safe. I would say something that a survivor who's going through this can can try to do. And if you know, again, if possible, getting some care for this for herself so that she can um, leave. the the violence behind eventually and have a safe environment for herself and her family.
0: Yeah, those are great suggestions. It's a tough situation for a lot of families, right? And a lot of women and men, like you said, um, who are experiencing it. Um, But I guess in our talk, the main thing is, how do we keep those, the children safe? Um, and I feel like another way is maybe building a community around yourself. Like, if you have a church community, you know, um, or a fam- strong family community, um, Just and also, like you said, making sure that mom or dad is taking care of themselves, um, doing things to take care of their own mental health, if possible like things that they enjoy doing, making sure there's, they are still doing those things and not neglecting themselves and just worry and fear all the time, 24 seven, but actively trying to do things that they enjoy, like reading or going out for a walk or run or exercising or spending time with friends and family members, uh, if possible, you know, to, um, just give their brain a break from, from all the stress that they might be experiencing at home. Um, I think that's, critical and super important even for the kids like making sure they go to the park right and are out in nature and doing you know fun things that are free you know that they could still do and enjoy doing like playing a sport like basketball or something like that with their friends or going of their friends house um but making sure that their lives are still full uh, outside of the home and doing things that they enjoy doing as well i think that's super important
1: i completely agree and just that social network piece that you've you mentioned is so so important. Absolutely, you know that we know that one of the major protective factors for the, against negative outcomes for people who are survivors of trauma is having social support. So absolutely, um, to the extent that that's possible, do in a safe way because I know sometimes that that you know when someone is being um, victimized by their partner, their access to resources is. Of course, a connect, or the network outside of the home is restricted, but um, to the extent that's possible, you know, to have the children and and the survivor, her himself, have a community is so important.
0: Yeah, that is. It's so funny. We have like so many more questions to get through. I don't think we're going to even get through half of them. Um, so I <laughs> have to do quite a few, but. Um, I guess as far as like our clinicians that might be on um, and listening, that might be interacting with victims of domestic violence who have children in the home, are there like checklists or something that they can access or think about saying with parents when they come in, they they realize mom or dad has been injured through a, a domestic violence altercation? Children were witness to that. It happens often. Oh, you know, parent shot, parents stabbed. Children witness that. Um, are there things that they can say with that parent? You know, to help support them in this tragic time, um, and for them to try to think about their children's safety. I know, a lot of times you just think about your own safety like, oh my god, like how am I going to keep myself safe from someone who's violating me at home. Um, but you know, it's c- super critical, right, to also keep the children safe. As we see with the ACEs, when children are experiencing this across their lifespan, it's going to affect them. Doctors and nurses, you know, they they are that first responder at moments of crisis, right? And a lot of times they don't know what to say. So that's why we're having these conversations to keep these things top of mind for them of how they could be a support to that family and critical times. Do you have any suggestions? I guess this will be like our last question because we're like coming close to our time now. Um, but I'd like to hear what you, what you, you would suggest.
1: Sure, um, absolutely. So, um I think, um, so when we, when in answering this question, I think about what we know about survivors of trauma and how to help them right after this happened. So right after the event happened, you know, a lot of times we don't see these negative consequences emerge, at least for a few weeks. And it's completely normal to be shocked or to be kind of in a state of, um, yeah, really shock after you've experienced a traumatic event, such as witnessing your parent Um, being injured in this way. And so um, first responders, uh, emergency room physicians, um, whoever it might be who is treating the the mother or the child or uh, the father at that time um, might just kind of be mindful of this and to think a few days ahead, what would it look like for this family? We know that first and the most helpful is not to force the child or the survivor to talk about what happened to them. I mean, it might be necessary to do that uh, for police reporting and things like that, but in general, just not to, if it's not necessary, not to, and the person doesn't want to talk about it, not to have them rehash. That's actually been shown to have a negative consequence, but to think about how do you support someone in that way? So That social connection that we were just talking about, making sure that um, the child has someone they could go to, a safe place to be, um, a way to find out, to keep in touch with their um, injured parent to know that how they're doing so they're not disconnected and to just kind of try and maintain routines as much as possible, and to just kind of give a little bit of space for healing. And then if you see that in a few weeks, the child is not doing better and they're continuing to have difficulties, then you might think about doing some more preventive kinds of interventions that there's testing the psychological first aid, for example, that they might be referred to. So, um, and that is in times of crisis, that's the kind of intervention that psychologists do. And again, that's just like very, it's just connecting individuals to um, safe networks. Um, making sure that they know what happened to their loved ones, that, you know, kind of they're aware of all the information, and then helping them build some skills to mitigate some of the kind of negative outcomes. And that's actually been shown to be effective. The psychological first aid is something that providers need to be aware of, and maybe, you know, refer a family to such a resource where someone can check in with them in a few days and say, you know, you might benefit from something like this. How can we reach out to you and provide it? So I would say just so to, to ask questions, to be aware, to make sure that the child is connected and safe, um, and then to think a couple of days ahead and make sure that they have resources that they might tap into later on what I would say. And there are lots of different screener, uh, screeners that are available um, that can be administered, you know, to check for symptoms of depression and anxiety. Uh, but again, if it's just happening at the moment, it's likely that those will be very high and the child might just be in shock. So it might be worth to kind of um, think again a couple of days ahead to make sure that they are connected with somebody once the, the actual Acute phase of this is, is over.
0: This has been so helpful. Um, I thank you so much for your time today and just for all the knowledge that you've shared um, with myself and with our audience. Um, it, we're going to share more about you and your work in your bio. And we'll also share some links um, that dif- if you'd like more information um, on what we've talked about and some of the screeners and things like that, we're going to share that also um, through links on our on our um, podcast page and also on our website. So I would like to thank you, Dr. Nicolina, so much for for being on today. and. Um, And I just thank you for our audience for listening, and I hope this positively impacts you and in your caring for um, patients and children who are experiencing violence at home. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Christina. It's been a pleasure.